some point in life, we all have to ask ourselves, what are we for? How will we make a difference in our time and place? Because we have been called. Called to rise up and attempt great things for the kingdom. A kingdom that is bigger than a city. It's bigger than a state or even a country. It's a kingdom that covers the globe. And unlike realms of the past, whose rulers have faded with history, our king is alive. And he has called us to spread the good news of hope and love, to build up a community that impacts the world for good, to make our mark for his kingdom. Oh, good morning, good morning, church, and welcome back to our series. We started this brand new series last week called For the Kingdom, and I love this series because in this series, we're in a 50 days of prayer as a church, and I'm so thankful for that. Now, we've asked this question last week, and it's this, what are you for? What are you for? And we're all for different things, right? I mean, you think about it, we're for different sports teams, or we're for different bands, or we're for Disney, or we're for, you know, we're all of different things that kind of like in our lives that we're for. And we said last week that you can determine what you're for by where you spend your time and your money. And so I hope that those things have kind of been wrestling in your mind and saying, what am I living for? What is the priority of my life? If somebody were to look at me from the outside and say, hey, they are for this, what would they say I'm for? What would they say I'm most passionate about? What would they say, like, hey, they are committed to this? And what we said as a church and individually, we want to be for the kingdom, right? We want to be for God's kingdom. We don't want to just get caught up in trivial things. We want to invest our lives in things that are going to last and things that are going to make a difference for the glory of God. So we're in this 50 days of prayer together. And we're praying together. And I love these kind of times, these seasons when we can just pray and concentrate it's almost like physically, you know, when you do a fast or you do a, a cleanse and you're like, okay, I got to reset my body physically. I want to drink some you know, weird stuff and everything. I just want to be sure that I'm kind of like, you know, set physically. This is one of those kind of spiritual resets. This is those 50 days to say, hey, what am I investing in? What am I praying for? What am I doing with my life? Am I headed in the right direction? Because what can happen, right, is we get so excited for God and we start off and then we slowly drift. And we drift away and we wake up a year from now or five years from now or 10 years from now and we go, how did I get here? You know, I wanted to be over here and I wanted to be really close to God. And so this is that spiritual reset and this is the time that we see God do what only God can do as the body of Christ as we do this together. Now, in our series, we're tracking with the children of Israel back in the Old Testament and they had like one of their best times in their history was this season that we're studying in First Chronicles. I mean, this was the time when they said, hey, we're all in this, we're all locking arms, we're all better together, we're going to do something great for the glory of God. And it was an exciting time, a transformational time, and it was a time that God used to impact generations. And that's what we're praying for us individually and for us as a church as we live our lives for the kingdom. So if you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you up with me to 1 Chronicles 29. 1 Chronicles 29. Now, 1 Chronicles, Old Testament, right? It's back there in that 1st and 2nd section, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, you know, that whole area right back there. So we're at 1 Chronicles 29. If you don't have a Bible, we got some Bibles in the back. You can grab a Bible, put your name in it. It's yours, free gift. Also put the scripture on the screen 
If you're following along and want to take notes today, and you got your journey guide, page 26, and gives you a place. I love these things, by the way. I mean, aren't they great? I mean, you take it to a community group. It's got your community group notes in there, you know, and talks about what we're praying for as a church in the front part, place to take notes and just kind of keep it all together in this series and during these 50 days. So 1 Chronicles 29, 1 Chronicles 29. Now, we left off last week, 1 Chronicles 28. And in 1 Chronicles 28, David, who's the king at this time, he's walking around in his palace, and he looks out and he goes, why am I living in a palace when God's dwelling in a tent? And he sees the tent that, that God had the children of Israel make when they were in the desert and put in the center of their camp and say, hey, keep your eyes and your heart with me. And then they came into the promised land and God gave them you know, houses they didn't build and vineyards they didn't plant. God just drove out the people before him and said, this land is your land. And, and he gave them all this stuff. And, and they come in and, and David becomes the king and he's, he loves God. And, and now they're just successful. They've won like every battle they fought. They're a world power now, and they're living in you know, Jerusalem. It's become the capital, and they've got palaces, and they've got houses. And David's like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. We got all this stuff, and we've kind of left God outside there in a tent. Come on now. Let's put God in the center of the city. Let's make sure that everybody knows, hey, we are for God. We are for the kingdom. And so he rallies all the people in 1 Chronicles 28. He brings all the leaders together. And he says, guys, let's do this. Let's pray. Let's pray. And let's do something like that's great for God. Let's build a temple right here in the middle. And, and our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids will come and they'll worship and they'll say, hey, this is what my parents, my grandparents, my great-grandparents were for. They were for the things of God. He goes, let's do it. Let's do it together. And he brings them together in 1 Chronicles 28. And he says, hey, I had this great idea. And God was blessing it. And then God said, hey, you're not the one to build it. You've shed too much blood. Your son Solomon will build it. And I love that because God's saying, hey, you, you were a man of war. And you won all the battles you fought. That's great. But, but listen, Solomon's going to be a man of peace. And my house will be a place of peace. And isn't that true? I mean, like when we come in here on Sundays, man, it's, just, it's like a time of a respite, it's a refuge, and you just come in, you're like, ah, deep breath, you know, I'm going to leave everything out, and I can come and meet with the Lord, and God open my heart, and God speak to me, and so David says, Solomon, I'm giving you all the plans, I'm laying it out there for you, Solomon, come on up, you're going to do this, and then he says in chapter 29, verse 1, then King David said to the whole assembly, so in front of everybody, my son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen is young and inexperienced. The task is great because this palatial structure is not for man, but for the Lord God. With all my resources, I have provided for the temple of my God, gold for the gold work, silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, and wood for the wood, as well as the onyx and the, for the settings, the turquoise, the stones of various colors, and all kinds of fine stone and marble. All of these in large quantities. Besides... In my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God, over and above everything I've provided for the holy temple. 3,000 talents of gold, gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver for the overlaying of the walls of the building, for the gold work and for the silver work and for all the work to be done by the craftsmen. Now, who is willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord today? David's like, here's my personal investment. Now, who's with me? Who's joining in? I want to tell you a couple of things, right? 
What made David so special was his heart for God. What made David so special was his heart for God. I mean, David, when he was anointed as king, he was, he was young. Samuel goes to Jesse's house. God said, go to the house of Jesse, and it's going to be one of his sons that you anoint king. And, and Jesse's sons start coming out, and the oldest one, he's jacked, he's ripped. And Samuel's like, that's him. And God's going, that's not him. You know? And the next guy comes out, and he's smart, and he's like, that's not him. That's not him. And finally, you know, Samuel's like, you got any more? I mean, like, who else is left? He goes, well, the young one, but he's out there taking care of the sheep. He goes, bring him in here. And this incredible verse in 1 Samuel 16, 7, it says, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And David comes in and anoints him king. He's like, you're going to be the king because you got a heart for God. And I think, man, how often do we spend time on the outward appearance, you know? <laughs> how much time and energy in our society and our culture, it's all about the outward appearance, and yet God is always looking at the heart. And here's David. David wasn't perfect. I mean, he's not like perfect, you know, we've all made mistakes, but, but David kept his heart for God all of his life. And that's my prayer for every one of us, that we keep our heart for God. You're thinking, David, why are you doing this? I mean, David's getting old. He could retire. You know, he could hand the throne over to Solomon. David could be going up and building a lake house in the Sea of Galilee and have his beach house down at the Dead Sea and kind of go, you know, hey, peace out, guys. It's all you. But David's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to live my entire life for God. I want my heart in it. Everything that God's done for me. And David just had this gratitude about him. God, it's all from you. You know, David would have known the Shema, the most important verse for every Jew. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, it says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We're not polytheistic. We don't worship multiple gods. The God of the sun, the moon, the stars, you know, the rocks, you know. The Lord our God is one. He is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. And what it boils down to is this. It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. And for every one of us, guys, this is going to be the biggest challenge in our spiritual walk and spiritual journey, that we keep our heart locked in to God. Because God knows. <laughs> our hearts are prone to wander, right? Right? We sing in the hymn, our hearts are prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. When the children of Israel were coming into the promised land, uh, God told them, hey, I'm taking you out of slavery, I'm going to give you this land, it's going to be awesome, I'm going to do great things. But Deuteronomy chapter 8, God says in verse 10, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he's given you. You know? Hey, praise the Lord your God when you have good food. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied and the stock market goes through the roof and your house appreciates more than you ever thought, Oh, wait, I kind of added that in there. But, but you know, that's what, what he's saying, right? Verse 14, then your heart, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of a land of slavery. See, it's not in times of desperation that we have to worry. In times of desperation, we're calling out, God, help, right? <laughs> God, I need you. It's the times of success that we got to worry. It's the time of success when things are going great and we have all this stuff and we're like, uh, because that's when you go, well, 
I got it. Look what I did. Look what I built. Look at all this. And we tend to forget, oh, wait a minute. I remember those times when I didn't have a job. I remember those times of praying like crazy. I remember those times on my knees and God came through. David didn't forget. And David held on to the Lord. See, God knows. God knows our hearts are prone to wander from God and after the things of the world. And so David here, toward the end of his life, David just makes this thing public. He makes a public declaration. He brings everybody together. And I want you to look at this for a moment. David makes his commitment to God public. Look at verse 1 of chapter 29. Then David said to the whole assembly, to the whole assembly, guys, Christianity is, is, is not a private faith. Sometimes we go, well, my faith is private. I don't like to talk about God. You know, I mean, Christianity is not a private faith. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and other parts of the world. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. And the Bible tells us that we are Christ's ambassadors. Now, that doesn't mean we have to go to like football games and hold up John 3.16 and put off any wig, right? You know, we don't have to go stand on a street corner and yell at people. That, that's not what it is. But there's times that we make our faith public. We identify with Christ. It happens in salvation, right? As God draws you to himself, and there comes a moment for every one of us. And if you're here today and you thought it was about religion, it's not. It's about a relationship. And there comes a moment for every one of us where we recognize our own sin and we recognize our own total depravity and we get on our knees and say, God, redeem me, restore me. Jesus, be the Lord of my life. And the Bible says, repent and be baptized. And baptism is that public expression of what God's done in your life. Now, I love it, Rolling Hills, when we celebrate baptism almost every week. But maybe in this 50 days, maybe God's saying to you, it's time to be baptized. And we could come up with all kinds of excuses. You know, I don't like it when my hair's wet. You know, I don't like it. You know, everybody's watching me or whatever. It, no. I'm making a commitment. I'm saying I'm a follower of Jesus. I want people to know. And David brings the whole assembly together and says, hey, guys, listen, I'm for the kingdom. I'm going to make it public. I'm just going to tell you guys I'm for him. Notice this, number two. David builds this for God and not for man. He says the task is great because this palatial structure is not for man but for the Lord God. <laughs> I want to build something for God. I want to build something that honors him. Notice this. David gives his personal resources. Verse 3, personal. Besides, in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God. David could have said, you know what? We've won a lot of battles. Let's just give the spoils. You know I mean? <laughs> we got all these other nations we've conquered. Let's just give the spoils. He could have said, hey, we've had taxes going on for a long time. Let's just give out of that. I'm not going to touch my brokerage account. I'm not going to touch my 401k. I'm not, yeah, I got all this over here. I'm not going to touch that. I got my own thing going, right? David goes, no, 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 no. I'm personally invested. <laughs> I'm personally invested. And then notice... David invests over and above his ongoing gifts. I mean, he says, besides my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God over and above everything I've provided for the holy temple. Over and above. You know, God calls all of us, right? We give our first 10% back to God. It's called tithing. It's, it's, it's like Christianity 101. It's the basic. And God does that so that we keep our hearts tied to him. And we don't think, hey, I did all this. Now, it's a really great deal. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, God's like, hey, you keep 90%, just give me 10%, you know, and just trust me, the first fruits. But there's times in our lives when there's tithes and there's offerings. 
And we give over and above, just like David said, I'm going to give over and above. I'm gonna, I got the ongoing thing going, but I'm going to give over and above. And then David asked others to join him. And I love that. He says, now who is willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord today? That word consecrate, it means to be set apart. It means to pray. It means to prepare your heart. David's not saying, hey, I'm talking about giving right here. I'm saying, hey, who's willing to pray with me? Who's willing to be on this page? Who's willing to say, hey, God, you work in my heart and my life. And God, I want to live my life for the kingdom. Who's willing to do that with me? You know, what's amazing is here at Rolling Hills, we've had like four or five different periods in our history. We're only 15 years old. But, but where we've said, hey, we want to just pray together and watch God do something great. We want to lock arms together. We want to pray. We're in one of those times now. But I remember when we started, we had 15 people meeting at an apartment clubhouse on Thursday night Bible study. And we said, guys, we're just going to pray. We don't know what God's going to do. We don't have a script here. We're just going to trust God. We want to do anything that you want us to. We want to invest for your kingdom. And I remember during that 15, that 50 days of prayer that we were praying back then. And I get this call from a guy who says, hey, Jeff, would you bring a mission team to Moldova? And first I said, where's Moldova, right? Because I didn't know, you know, it was between Ukraine and Romania and the poorest, smallest country in the former Soviet Union. But the second thing, I was like, how are we going to do that? There's 15 of us. We got a Bible study, you know. <laughs> what are we going to do? But we just said, let's pray and let's see what God will do. Because we believe God will do miracles out of this. Eight months later, man, we personally invested, right? We bought plane tickets and we flew to Moldova and 18 of us went and started working in orphanages with with kids there and wrecked us, changed us, transformed us individually and as a church. And then God started saying, hey, just pray about who will join. The next year we went back, the next year we went back, and then we took two trips and three trips, and five years later, we started Justice and Mercy International. And the reason we started this nonprofit as a church because we saw these kids in the orphanages and, and they have to leave at 15 or 16 and have no place to go. And we said, we can't just come and do a mission trip one time a year and then leave. There's got to be somebody there. And we started praying for God to raise up somebody who would, who would lead this cause there in Moldova. Five years later, we started working in the Amazon. And we were going down to the Amazon on a boat. And we started praying for God to raise up leader there who could take the work and could, could multiply it. And I want you to meet this morning, some of you already know them, they're like a part of our church family, but Sarah and Magno are here from the Amazon, Sarah is our national director in the Amazon for JMI, and Alina and Vlad are here from Moldova, and Alina is our national director there in Moldova, you guys come on over here, and uh, these guys, I mean, they're more than we could have ever prayed for, right, they're just more than we could have ever dreamed about, and they're a part of our church and a part of our church family you guys, yeah, come on, right? They are just amazing. And you guys, tell us a little bit. Tell us what God's doing right now in Moldova and what God's, the difference God's making there. Um, God is so faithful, and he provides. He provides the food for the needy, for the hungry. He provides clothing and shoes. But more than that, he provides love and care. And he shows his faithfulness. He proves his love to us every day. And... Honestly, he always gives us much more than we pray for. Mm. We pray for a house, and he gives us two. We pray <laughs> for a car to drive around, and he gives us two. We pray for three staff members, and he gives us 20. So we always see his kingdom growing and his family in Moldova growing. Amen. I love it. 
Sarah, tell us about what's happening in the Amazon. Yeah, um, well, God just happened to call this church in Jeremiah <laughs> to one of the most unreached places in the world. The Amazon jungle is, one of, is the largest um, state of, the, of Brazil, and we have so many villages, like 25,000 villages that have not heard of the name of Jesus. They have no mm. access to clean water, um, energy, or nothing, and um, very often, it's easy to feel forgotten mm. when you're in the middle of nowhere, not knowing that people know that you're there. And through our volunteer teams, we have been over, I don't know, 200 villages through the years. Um, and we've heard people say, I didn't know God, like God knew that we were here. And as volunteer teams go, they're able to see God mm. uh, in them. Uh, we also realized that the jungle churches were in places that our teams could never get to. Some of these villages, you would have to travel for seven or 10 15 days, day and night by boat to get to. Wow. Uh, but there were churches there. And so we began our pastors, uh, jungle, jungle pastors conferences. And we have been able to train just this year over 200 pastors and missionaries uh, who are completely native indigenous for them to reach the other villages with the love of Christ. We were able to, God provided food for over 100 families who during the flooding season, and some of you have seen it with your own eyes, where they cannot harvest for two years or so, and many of them go into starvation, and we were able to provide food for over 100 families. There were medical treatments, dental treatments, and a lot of it is for people to know that God is there, mm. and that He loves them, and that they're not forgotten, and mm. that there's people who love them. And so we continue to push forward as God is leading. Like, he's, he's there. Like, the Amazon jungle will preach to you, but we're there just to make sure that they know that. And so we keep pointing them back to him, the one who loves them and who are, we're devoted to spread his word in there. So. Wow, that's awesome. So how can we be praying for what God's doing in Moldova and the Amazon? How can we be praying as a church family? Um, when you pray for Moldova, please remember in your prayers that 20 people on staff, mm -hmm. um, 60 Transitional living, young right. adults, 550 sponsored children. And please pray for love, patience, wisdom, and for the big family, for the children of the children mm. that Jemai raised, for Jemai grandchildren. Please for the whole country to change, for the whole country to love and know God. Mm. Amen. We'll do it. Yeah. I went to Moldova this year, and yeah. it's all true, you guys. I mean, imagine a Brazilian. <laughs> Amazonian in Moldova, and it's amazing <laughs> what's happening there. Uh, but in the Amazon, I think we need most prayer for the jungle churches. And I don't know if this clicks to you, but they are the window of kingdom of God mm. in that village. Mm -hmm. They are God, and like they are what people will know that God is real and that He loves them. And our main challenge is to get to places where God is not yet, and they need the love of God. Mm. They need to know that they're not in bondage of sin. And so pray for us as our volunteer teams come down. And I want to give a shout out to this church. <laughs> Every time we're out down there and we're praying for laborers and we're, you know, saying, God, send people. We need help. We need help. Some of you show up. And that's amazing. So thank you for that. But also pray for all the Brazilian teams who are joining us. And it's a very special thing because it's a it's a native to native mm. communication. Pray for the jungle pastors and the missionaries. Pray for the kids in our sponsorship programs who are in absolutely vulnerable situations, that they will understand who God is, but also that they will continue to get the support they got. Pray for all the families who we support and with our special needs kids. 
I mean, there's so much that, and, and I think the main thing, Jeff, is that God will help us to be obedient and mm -hmm. to move forward and send people to work for us. If mm -hmm. you if you want to pray for one thing, pray for people mm -hmm. and keep coming because we always need you. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, we love y'all. And they're in town because we have our JMI gala tomorrow night. And many of you guys are going to be there. It's sold out. So if you can watch the live stream, but it's actually Tuesday night. So I didn't mean to throw that one night earlier, but get us ready. But you guys are here, and we are so excited that you're here, and we love you, and we have a gift for you, and uh, also, I just want to thank you for your personal investment. You know, you guys, I've been with you guys, and so you sleep in the orphanages, and, and then go to hospitals and take kids in the middle of the night, and I've been with you guys and watched you sleep on boats and hammocks, and, and you guys are going into villages and some of the some of the toughest parts of the Amazon, but you guys, you're in it, and you love it, and I'm just so thankful, and um, we just want to say thank you to you guys. So, uh, Mabry, Kate, come on up. Can you come up and give them something from your church family here at Rolling Hills? We just want to say thank you to you guys, and we have this gift for you because we love you, so thank you for all you do. <laughs> Thanks, guys. You, you know, it's just amazing because when we were praying back in that 50 days, we would have never dreamed we would have friends and partners in ministry around the world, and they're, they're our friends. They're a part of us as a church, and God, that's just what God does. That's what God does when we trust him and we follow and we seek him. But it all comes down to this. It comes down to our heart, and when we stay focused on him all the days of our life, we be passionate about him and live our lives for the, his glory. Here's the biggest challenge. Here's the biggest challenge, guys. Jesus knows that money is the chief competitor for our heart. I, I'm just going to tell it straight out. Now, it's not wrong to be rich. There's some rich people in the Bible. Abraham, David was rich, obviously. I mean, the stuff he's talking about here, gold and silver and bronze. Joseph, Arimathea. But it's the biggest challenge. It's the biggest challenge. And we see that with this story, the story of the rich young ruler. And in Mark chapter 10, in Mark chapter 10, Jesus is teaching one day, and it says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him. So this guy's rich, he's young, he's happening, he's got it going on, he's got all the things that the world would say, hey, this makes you successful from the outside. Man looks at the outward appearance. This guy's got it, right? And he's living it and he's just having this time of his life, he thinks, but there's something obviously missing in him because he runs up to Jesus and he falls onto his knees and he says, there's something missing in me. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I've got all of this and, and there's something missing. Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. Jesus is like, do you recognize who I am? Do you recognize that I am the son of God? You know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. I've been to church. I've been religious. This rich young ruler thought it was about religion instead of relationship. I've done these things, right? I got my gold star. I got check marks. But what this guy was missing was this. He was more concerned with the law than he was with love, with love. And Jesus looked at him and he loved him, verse 21. And if you ever wonder what Jesus sees when he looks at you, Jesus looks at you and he loves you. 
Jesus loves you. He looked at him and he loved him and he said, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. (laughs) Now I want you to notice a couple things. Jesus looked at him and loved him. And then Jesus said, I can see your heart. I know what you love. And you love this world. Go go sell it all and, and come follow me. And the guy went away sad. And Jesus didn't run after him. He didn't go, I'm just kidding. A little bit of a joke, you know, hey, just give God a tip every now and then. Just kind of like, you know, it's fine, it's okay. He let him go. What if Jesus were to say that to you? What if Jesus were to say that to me? Now, I'm not saying he is, right? Because this is the only time that we have recorded in Scripture where he says this. But what I am saying is it's so easy for us to get caught up in that and get swept down the road and make it about the outward appearance and lose the heart. And if we're looking at a spiritual checkup, man, this is the time that we have to say, whoa, 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 God, search me. And God, you've blessed me. You've given me a lot, all of us, all of us. Guys, listen, we live in the wealthiest society that's ever existed. You can go back and study history. We are living it. And we need to be thankful. We need to say, thank you, God. We are blessed. But at the same time, we can't let it steal our heart. We can't let it steal our heart. You know, as you think about spiritual indicators of your heart, there's two indicators of a spiritual heart, I think. Number one is this, gratitude. Gratitude. When we stop being thankful, that ought to be like a warning sign. That ought to be the flashing light, check engine light. That ought to be like coming out because when we start going, man, I'm bitter. They should do this for me. Everybody owes me. It's all about this. Yikes, yikes, yikes. The second thing I think that's an indicator is generosity. When we stop being generous, when we stop looking for ways to serve or start looking for ways to give and we kind of turn in on ourselves, ooh, danger, danger, danger. And for us to be a people that say, I will always want to have a heart for God. And God, everything I have is yours and I want to live it for you. One of the person that I know who just modeled this was a, a woman in our church named Sarah Zell. And Sarah, Sarah was born with brittle bone disease. She spent her whole life in a wheelchair but it didn't make her bitter. She went to Vanderbilt University, graduated summa cum laude. She got her master's at Vanderbilt. She ended up working at Vanderbilt, but her passion was to be at church. And she would come in in her wheelchair, her motorized wheelchair, she would ride in, and she taught children in our children's ministry for years. And she would do worship one, serve one, worship one hour, serve one hour, and she would come in her wheelchair, and the the kids would say, Miss Sarah, Miss Sarah, why can't you walk? And Sarah would say, well, God gave some people legs and he gave other people wheels. I got the wheels, you know. <laughs> Look at this. I mean, she changed our kids. They all of a sudden they realized that God has a plan for every person. And she demonstrated joy 
When we had a big board one time, we said, hey, write one word that describes your relationship with God. And, and Sarah rolls up on the stage in a wheelchair, and she takes this paintbrush, and she paints joy. And she puts a happy face right in the middle of that O. I just thought, whoa. She just demonstrated it. Before she went home to be with Jesus a few years ago, she said, you know what? I, I want my legacy to be what I did for the kids of Rolling Hills and so when your kids are playing on that playground in the back, you could just say, thank you, Sarah Ezell. You guys, we get one shot at life. And I think about this rich young ruler often, and I think about, man, he just went off. And think about all the things he missed. Think about all the miracles he missed. Think about seeing 5,000 people being fed with just some loaves and fish. Think about seeing the blind come to see. Think about coming into Jerusalem and everybody cheering. Think about the resurrection and this guy missed it all. And he died and we don't even know his name or anything. And I just say, oh Lord Jesus, please help us not to miss it. And I want to tell you, Lisa and I, my wife, we are passionate about this 50 days. We are praying together individually, we're praying together as a family, and, and we're committed. We, we believe in these things. If you go back and read the first part of your journey, guy, we believe in investing in the next generation. We believe in what God's doing in preschool children and students right here, and we're going to be invested. And we're, we believe in a new home for Nolensville and in Belmont Heights, and, and we believe in adults. We believe in space to be discipling adults, because we know as you and I are growing our relationship with God, it's going to impact our marriage. It's going to impact our kids. It's going to impact generations. We believe in what God's doing in the Amazon. We believe in what God's doing in Moldova. We are committed. And, and we tithe our tithe. We give our 10%. It's my favorite check to write. I got to tell you, better than Middle Tennessee Electric or Millcroft or all those other things I do. I love that I'm investing in something that's going to make a difference. But we know this is a time we're going to give over and above. And we're personally committed to it. And we're going to be the lead givers. You know, we may not be going to give as much, right? but we can give, right, as a percentage. We're going to be the lead givers because we believe in it. And for David, this was his time. He could have retired. He could have walked away. He could have just gone on. But he said, no. Now, who is willing to consecrate himself to the Lord today? I'm going to stand up in front of everybody, family, friends, and I want you to know I'm going to live my life for the kingdom. I'm not going to be perfect. I'm going to make mistakes. But I want glory to be given to my God who's with me. Because you see, about 200 years earlier, when the children of Israel were coming in, and, and Moses had died, and they're getting ready to cross the Jordan into the promised land, Joshua, who's scared to death, but he's praying like crazy, God, do something big, bigger than we can imagine. And he goes to the people, and he says in Joshua 3, verse 5, consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow, the Lord will do amazing things among us. And the people are like, yes, we're going to pray. We're going to prepare our hearts. We're going to get ready. We're going to go for the kingdom. And they crossed that Jordan, and they went into that promised land. And now, generations later, they have their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren, who are doing something great for the glory of God. And now the generations have come to us. So who is willing to consecrate himself to the Lord today. 
Who is willing to say, God, search my heart for 50 days. God, search my mind. God, test me and know my anxious thoughts. Know where I'm investing. Know what's important to me. And God, let me live my life for you. And whatever decision you call me to, Father, I want to do it for your name. Because I'm for you and your kingdom. I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. Guys, I don't know where you are today. I don't. But I'm praying these 50 days we see God do miracles. He's done it before. He'll do it again. I'm praying we'll see God do a miracle in your life. Individually. Maybe it's a salvation. Maybe you've been far from God. Maybe you thought it was about religion. Maybe you thought it was he who dies with the most toys wins. Maybe you've been more concerned with the outside than the inside. Maybe God's calling you to be baptized. You've made excuses, well, I'm older, or, you know. But maybe today it's like, no, I'm done with excuses. Maybe today God's speaking to you about praying with your spouse, with your roommates, with your children. I don't know what it is. Maybe God's calling you to serve on Sundays or to go on a mission trip, but I just want to tell you, when you step out and you step up, Man, God does miracles, things you couldn't even dream or even imagine. So, Father God, here we are, your disciples today, and we gather in your name. And for 50 days, God, we're just going to consecrate ourselves to you. We're going to ask, Father, that our minds and our hearts be dedicated to you, that we be men and women after your heart. So, Father, thank you for your presence this morning. Thank you for calling us, challenging us, and calling us to be your people today. In the name of Jesus, we pray, and we worship you. Amen.